Welcome to the SaaS Growth for Good podcast. This is the podcast for SaaS entrepreneurs who are passionate about positive change in themselves, in their team, and in the wider world. Today, joining me is Mr. Jack Thompson. Jack is the easily the best mentor on the NatWest Accelerator program. Some of you might know that I've been through that accelerator program over the last 12 months and had the great fortune to meet Jack, learn a bit more about his backstory. And uh, he's been invaluable helping Plexi and uh, picking apart sales and marketing strategy and uh, looking for a way forward. Jack, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, um, I'm not sure I could live up to that uh, introduction you've given me, but I'll uh, I'll do my best. Uh, um, so, so yeah, for the for the context of this conversation, uh, I'm a business development consultant. Uh, now, so marketing agencies predominantly, but some other kind of software and B2B tech companies as well for the last uh, 15 years or so, um, and now work for myself. So I sort of effectively take that career experience I have doing business development for other companies and now I use that experience to help a, a portfolio of, of clients advising them on their business development strategy uh, alongside my kind of paid work if you like uh, I, I do a lot of kind of pro bono work uh, helping and mentoring and coaching predominantly early stage founders uh, with their business development strategy and very early stage stuff so it's just getting the kind of uh, housekeeping stuff in place giving some advice and guidance and I do that kind of alongside my paid work as it were which is obviously how yeah how we met so NatWest Accelerator is one of a few places where I offer my time uh, sort of paying it forward I guess um, so yeah that's me in a nutshell sales business development marketing that sort of stuff if I'm an expert in anything those are the things that I suppose I would hang my hat on to a certain degree great well you're definitely in the right place to discuss that um, is that where you meant to end up Jack age five dreaming of being a fireman being an engineer being a doctor was this was this what you had in mind <laughs> I, I, I don't know why it is but maybe it's a, a, a generational thing but I think when I was a kid everyone wanted to be a marine biologist for some reason I don't know where that came from maybe there was, <laughs> maybe there was things on tv at the time of people diving down into beautiful marine reefs and uh, you know swimming with dolphins and that sort of stuff but uh, so for a long time I wanted to be a marine biologist whatever that is um didn't go any further than childhood dreams, unfortunately, although that would be a lovely lifestyle, I'm sure. Um, to be honest, I'm one of these people that for a long, long time in my life, I didn't really have any career aspirations. Um, I was mainly into rugby and music, uh, to be frank, until, you know, quite late. It wasn't until after university and after a few jobs, which had nothing to do with what I'm doing now, that I kind of fell into a sales role, effectively. Uh, in, in a, not exaggerating in this any way I was looking for a job in London to, 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 to have an excuse to live in London and live with my now wife and um, I've been working in horticulture for a few years growing ornamental Japanese trees you know completely not in the traditional business world uh, living in you know working in a valley in, in Sussex with two other people and you know hardly talking to anyone all day uh, but you know I, I had a, a habit or I had a, a skill I guess that was being open and willing to talk to people and being friendly, et cetera. That was some sort of natural skill, I guess, I had. Looking for a job in London, had a few mates who worked in media sales, 
Uh, and they said, oh, you could do this. You can talk to people. You've got confidence. Uh, go and have a go at media sales. So, well, why not? Better, you know, better than some of the other options I had. Managed to blag a job in a, in a, a publishing company, selling advertising in magazines uh, it, it, based in Notting Hill. And absolutely loved it. Fell into it. Absolutely loved it. Loved the whole process. Loved the people I worked with. Loved the environment. And um, and luckily, I was I was good at it for some reason. Um, and so that kind of started me in that process of sales. And as you build any kind of career over the years, I've done various training and et cetera, et cetera. But mainly learning on the job, really, just fine tuning what I do. And I, I, I'm unashamedly a salesman. I love it. I get a buzz out of it. I still do now. I love the process. And uh, so, yeah, but it was never really a, a lifelong ambition. It, I literally fell into it and just have happened to fall into a career that I love. I guess the bit that's more recent than that is living, working specifically in marketing uh, agencies. And I think that, again, fell into that, if I'm frank. You know, I had other sales jobs and then was, uh, was told that if I wanted to work in marketing agency land, the only career that would be relevant given my skill set was business development, uh, a year effectively sales is a bit of a dirty word so I, I became a business development manager based on my experience of doing b2b sales previously and uh, and again absolutely love it i love working in marketing agencies the creative people the technologists the developers the strategists etc etc i just love the environment it's always a bit of alchemy as far as i'm concerned i wouldn't pretend to be a practitioner in anything regarding uh, the kind of marketing side of things apart from the business development that i do um but the, the the amazing creative people i get to work with and you know obviously made some really good friends through that career i really really enjoy it and that's so i kind of again it was an accident to a certain degree but i definitely built a career in it the last 13 years have really been uh, you know formative and, and very much focused on on that kind of marketing agency world so so yeah, kind of uh, happy with the accident of how it's occurred, but made made a career of it now. <laughs> uh, what do you think the things are? People that love selling, love selling. Lots of people are scared by it. Uh, pick the idea of picking up the phone, making a, a call to somebody that they don't know, really petrifies them. And I think for people like us having having done that for years that can be like that can be quite hard to it's like okay well like why would you do that like it can be quite hard to empathize with that having been through that for for such a long time what do you think it is about you and sales that that matches up perfectly like what is it that what is it that you enjoy so much about it <laughs> well I think there's two sides of it. I, I, I definitely enjoy it. So that, that, you know, and like, like a lot of things in life, if you manage to find something that you enjoy, that you can make a career out of, that's obviously a, a great combination, right? So, you know, I definitely do enjoy the process. And when I talk about the process, I literally from, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's also in business development and me, and, you know, we both still get a buzz out of the, the end-to-end process of, identifying a prospect to use that terminology we find a business or a person that we would like to uh, do business with we somehow make contact with them and obviously there's lots of ways that could happen but somehow we get their attention and we have a conversation a meeting or a phone call whatever it might be and then over a period of time we take them from completely cold you know never heard never heard of us never spoken to them before you know never have no idea who each other is and through whatever process your, your your business works with and regards to taking from that point to a sale at some point in the future and sometimes it could be years you know it doesn't have to be a quick process but that that process of finding someone starting a conversation taking them you know and selling to them not in a you know that's, that's the problem with sales 
how to take a process need, we have a service or a product that, that, that solves a problem that they have, identifying whether it works or not, having a conversation about that, writing proposals, doing pitches, whatever it might be. And at some point in the future, you get their signature on a contract to say, yeah, I'd love to work with you. That, and I, I still get a huge buzz out of that process. I don't know if it's something I'm wired in a certain way, but that kind of like, you know, hunter-gatherer instinct or whatever it is, I genuinely enjoy. So that, that's, that's one side of it. The other side of it, and this takes me back to my uh, my first job interview in that media sales job that I just mentioned in London. Um, I was kind of pre-screened by a recruitment consultant, as, as you are. Um, so I went for a meeting with a recruitment consultant. I'd never had a job in, in anything like this. So they were just, you know, who, who's this guy from the countryside who thinks he can come and do sales? So I sat down with a recruitment consultant and had a, had a, had a kind of pre-interview. They said, uh, and they said to me, what you know classic rubbish job interview question what's your biggest um uh, you know what's your biggest challenge or what's your you know what's your biggest uh, uh, negative or whatever and um and i said uh, I, I i don't like uh, i don't like rejection i fear i fear rejection i think is what i said to them and uh, and she sort of like laughed and, and a bit awkwardly she was like yeah you, you can't say that in the in the interview for a sales job and i was like what do you mean so it's well that obvious you did every single day so, my, and again, this is like flipping it as if, you know, the beauty of hindsight, as if it was planned. I just kind of said, well, that's why I'd be good at sales, because I'll just do everything I can to avoid rejection, right? I'll just kind of talk people around so they say yes rather than no. And actually, that, you know, it seems really stupid. That's kind of, that's kind of where, where, you know, where I feel I have some sort of talent. It's not about talking people into things they don't want to do. But because I have that kind of like, you know, it's almost a, a bad thing. If you looked at it and said, fear of rejection with me, well, you never pick up the phone. You never put yourself into an awkward situation because you just like hide in a room and so no one can ever say no to you. But I'm very happy to put myself out into those situations and identify hopefully opportunities where I can turn a no into a yes or a maybe into a yes or, you know, because ultimately if it's a hard no, it's a no, right? But if, you know, if someone's like, bit interested great you've got a bit of a hook there you can take them on that journey so I think that kind of weirdly that stupid response I gave to that question when I first got interviewed is kind of at the nub of of, of why I really enjoy it and why I feel I'm good at it because I do try and find I try and find the yes where I might immediately get a no um so yeah I don't know they're the only things I can really refer to I don't know <laughs> there's nothing else that really just innate uh, interest and uh, uh, enjoyment of the process and that kind of like yeah fear fear of failure drives me on to, to success I guess to a certain degree um, but yeah it doesn't it's not a, it's not an exact science do you think you still feel that to the same degree or having done it for decades now that that fear of rejection is less and uh, and that it's still a driver in some sense but it's not it, it it's not as crippling as it might have been at the beginning and it's not it's not something that genuinely keeps you up at night no well i think you know it's like a lot of things this practice you know practice makes perfect right so uh, yes my first job was effectively cold calling my first sales job as in southwest london um to sell them uh, classified advertising in magazines now, what builder wants to get a sales call when they're halfway up a ladder on a job with, you know, tools in their hands, their mobile phone goes off, and there's me sat in an office in Notting Hill trying to sell them two inches of advertising space in the back of a magazine they've never heard of. I mean, you know, you get every expletive you've ever heard of. You don't, you know, you, you spend all day with people telling you where to go uh, in very aggressive terms. And, and quite rightly so, to be honest, because, you know, you're interrupting their day and they're at a day rate. They're trying to get their job done. And some idiots trying to sell them advertising they a, don't want and B, definitely don't need because they're busy already. 
why why would they take the call in the first place? But their mobile phone goes, they're halfway up the ladder. You go, yep, all right, mate. And then you're trying to do a pitch to them. Very quickly, they tell you where to go. So when you do that day in, day out for months, months and months, you you get a thick skin very, very quickly, right? So, and you realize that in that kind of sales, and this is this is not what I do these days. Certainly, this is not you know how I advocate doing sales in the kind of businesses I work for now. But when you do when you're doing that kind of volume game, the, it's the word volume that's the trick because you are cold calling all day. You're making God knows how many calls, and it's a numbers game. You realize very quickly it's a numbers game. If you make enough of those phone calls and you're relatively targeted on the people you call, we knew that independent traders in Southwest London of a certain size would be interested if their business was in a certain position or you know whatever. We just had to find them, and it was a bit of a needle in the haystack. But as long as you trusted the process and made enough calls and got your pitch over, you would, you know, for however many no's and you know, f bombs and stuff you'd get thrown down the phone at you, you would eventually <laughs> get one. And he'd be like, "Oh yeah, great, yeah, that Bricks actually coming I coming down ladders at you." <laughs> yeah, and that you know, so it, and, and you realise that it's so for all those no's, you just take it on the chin. You put the phone down, have a bit of a laugh about it. You know, we'd all be sat around the desk everyone's doing this silly stuff that people have said to them and you know and that's kind of that sort of just banter I guess for want of a better expression in, in the sales team but you know at least once or twice a day you would get through to that person that was interested and then you do your thing and you get a sale and and, and if you do that and you just learn that for all the no's you get you will eventually get a yes and it, that's where you build that thick skin you kind of take the nose on the chin you learn something from it the objection you were given, you you know, fight. Maybe you call them back a few days later, and you try and overcome whatever objection. You know, so that's where the thrill of the chase comes in. That's where that first thing I said about enjoying the process. There would occasionally be times where you phone them the first time, and you get told in no uncertain terms where to go, um, and then you might try them again in a couple of weeks' time, and with a slightly different angle on your call. And then it might be a, okay. Well, look, just send me some more information, and then. And then, lo and behold, three months later, that guy that originally, you know, told you where to go has signed a deal and, and wants to take some ads in the magazine for a few months. And, you know, that it really, from a salesman point of view, doesn't get much more satisfying than that. Um, and so, yeah, that again, that kind of the thrill of the chase and that fun was what motivated me. But ultimately, you do lose an element of that fear of failure, if you like, just by going through that process, because you get very used to the fact that it is a numbers game. Uh, you know it's why the marketing funnel is a v-shape right lots of stuff goes in the top very little comes out the bottom that's that's the reality of sales and marketing etc so you realize it's a whatever game you're in it is a numbers game there's going to be more no's than yeses your your job is to find the yeses and uh, and get past the no's in in very simple terms um so yeah <laughs> you just learn that that's the case after a while how valuable do you think that is for a junior salesperson to to be chucked in at the deep end in a cold calling role with, with no real, I mean, there's a degree of structure to those sorts of roles. You have set targets, call targets, lead targets, deal targets over the, over the months that you need to be closing. Um, but it's, it's fairly loose and, and ready and you, you are very much chucked in at the deep end with those sorts of roles. How valuable do you think that is for, for somebody cutting their teeth in in sales well i mean i could only talk from personal experience really and i you know it was it was formative uh, as far as i'm concerned you know i, I went from uh, the only the closest thing I, I mean it's funny when you kind of look back at your career i guess i could reverse engineer that i've been doing sales since i was 16 17 my first job was in a in a restaurant 
Pizza Express as, as a waiter. So you could argue my job there was to kind of upsell and increase the bill by getting them to buy more drinks and more side orders and more desserts because there was a correlation between how much their bill was and how much tip I would get. You know, you generally get most people pay 10, 15 percent. So if you got them to pay more on their meal, I, I, I knew I'd get more uh, more tips. So I was kind of selling, upselling. Oh, are you sure you another glass of wine, another beer? Or do you want a really nice dessert? You know, you were, you kind of got the pattern to try and get them to spend more money. I wasn't, I didn't consider it to be a sales job at the time, but it, it kind of was. So I guess I'd had that kind of grounding. Um, fast forward until I was work, working in structured their commission structure like that, did they? At the time, yeah. I mean, this is this is the, uh, you know the dark days when uh, there was no such thing as tax uh, uh, complications for for waiters. So we, the team of waiters, we literally had a glass jar each with our name on it under the till. Uh, any cash tips would go straight into our jar. You could keep it at the end of the night completely. You know, the taxman never saw any of that at that money. Pure cash in the back pocket. Uh, you know, on top of my minimum wage, which I think was three pound twenty five an hour or something, um, and then. The, you know the, the cash was the cash was our cash bonus i mean at, at, at one point when i was working there this wasn't just me this was you know pretty average for the whole everyone who worked there we were all on that minimum wage i was taking home about six uh, in tips uh, li- living with my mum and dad this is in 1996 97 you know that was 600 quid cash in my back pocket without any tax you know so I, I was I was living the high life, you know. It was, it was amazing at that age, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but there was that that was that I got whatever whatever tip I could get out of someone was was mine to keep. Uh, Pizza Express got the profit on the on the food and food on the drink, which was uh, which is very good as well. Anyway, um, but yeah, so the, the, so that was kind of a sales job, I guess, to a certain degree. When I was working in horticulture, we used to do flower shows, and I'd stand on the stand. Uh, we you know Hampton Court and Chelsea and all these sorts of places selling trees that we'd grown in the nursery. And it was based, my, my boss was a complete introvert. He'd stand at the back of the stand, didn't want to talk to anybody. Half the reason why he ran a nursery in a valley in Sussex with only three of us, he spent, you know, didn't want to, didn't want to talk to anyone, basically. Uh, <laughs> he, he had to do flower shows because that's how he made money. So I came along and he, he was great. He'd stand at the back of the show, kind of, you know, watering and caring for the plants. I'd be out the front chatting to whoever it was that came along, mostly women of a certain age. And, you know, that's not gender stereotyping. That's just the reality of the, the kind of people who go to flower shows. And I was just, uh, yeah, it was my job to kind of uh, chat to them about their gardens and what soil type they had. And is it north-facing? Is it south-facing? Is it blah, blah, blah? Oh, this is this is the tree for you. Oh, yeah, you, re- you know. So, again, I was selling. <laughs> no training, but I'd, I'd be just passing cash back to my boss at the back. He'd be stood at the back, and I'd just be periodically passing in bundles of cash for all the trees that were being sold and he, he he loved it obviously this was you know records record sales for his uh because he, his sales technique was stand at the back and not talk to anyone <laughs> so, you know you can imagine how well he did before i turned up um but anyway so you know so all of that was kind of training i guess but by the time i went into proper media sales to back to your your original question yeah i mean if you're if you want to have a job where sales business develop and this is only as a job whose appetite to an expectation is to generate leads and sales for a business having that grounding in having to completely generate from cold conversations with prospective businesses and take them on that journey from first contact through to actual sale and being able to own that whole process i think is really really important um, because you do you learn so much about you know every aspect of it and obviously yes when you grow you're growing your career in sales guarantee you'll only be doing an element of that uh, training people on the early bit or you know delivering the closing bit at the end or more involved in architecting the process itself or m- managing teams or whatever it is 
But as with everything in life, if you don't kind of understand how to do those bits or haven't had some experience of doing all those bits, there's only so much you can then you know train or advise other people to do so yeah I, I consider it to be a really important part of my career uh sat in an office in in notting hill cold calling uh independent builders <laughs> for, for <laughs> whatever it was. so uh yeah it was and it was fun i really enjoyed it it was you know genuinely good fun good office good laugh you know a bunch of young people similar ages similar life stage just you know just having fun and and and, and making good money as well so yeah it was uh, it was good it was good times um the point you make about your boss uh growing trees in sussex clearly a a massive introvert and uh and not not someone who would naturally go and speak to strangers and and go put themselves out on a limb to, to build relationships with others um and as you're describing that i'm thinking about very technically minded founders, um, leaders of businesses who are very technically minded and probably lean more towards that introverted side and are, are less uh, less used to just going out and, and building relationships with strangers, which is, as a salesperson, what you basically do. Hmm. Do you think there's a way... Like, have you seen introverts who are massively successful at selling, and and if so, how do they do it? Or, or how how would an introvert uh, navigate selling themselves or building sales teams to to sell for them? Do you think? Um, so the, the answer to if I've seen uh, introverts be good at selling, one hundred percent yes. I think they. It, it, again, focusing on the experience I have with the with the clients I have and the types of businesses I work with now and I have done in the past, um, my my job, if you like, now or the role of business development, predominantly in agencies uh, and a lot of other sort of B two B service providers or you know high ticket item clients where there's going to be some sort of consultative sell, is about getting experts in the room with the client and ultimately your salespeople it's very unlikely there'll be a real domain expert in what you do as well. It's hard to get both. I mean, I've, I've worked in digital marketing and branding and various elements of, of marketing and software, et cetera, for, for, for long enough to have a kind of dangerous level of, of understanding of it from a strategic point of view. You know, certainly the initial consultation process in the sense of understanding, asking the right questions, you know, qualifying opportunities. Is this a good fit? you know, that very, very top, top level conversation. And I can have that, at, you know, at a good senior level with clients. But if someone asked me to, you know, write a, a digital marketing plan, or, you know, plan a, an SEO campaign, or you know, do a brand workshop or something, that's not me, you know, I, I know, I, my job is to identify there's a need and qualify the opportunity. But ultimately, I, my job is also to put the expert in the room with the client, because the expert does the, the selling. It's not you know, in, in the world that I operate now, it's not about, you know, the might of you when I was selling advertising. This is about a consultative sell between two senior business people talking about a nuggety business challenge. So if, if the client is in a room with an expert and they can see the person on the other, or the people on the other side of the desk clearly have the expertise they need and are already kind of helping to solve problems and, and provide value in those conversations, that, that's the sell ultimately. That, you know, that is the sales process. And so those experts want to, they can definitely be introverted because what you generally find, even if people consider themselves to be introverted, if they're talking about the thing they're an expert in, if they're in the room with a person talking about 
SEO, paid search, software development, branding, whatever it might be, they might otherwise be a bit of a wallflower or not be, you know, socially confident or, you know, put them in a networking environment. They might, you know, not be particularly comfortable. But if you put them in a room with a couple of clients and maybe a couple of their colleagues workshopping or talking about their domain expertise, they nail it, absolutely nail it. And that's that's the sales process. So for me, you know, if you have, if I was, you know, working with a who I might consider someone I might consider to be an introverted client or identify that that you know that might be the personality type of the client I was working with, they would. My advice would be maybe for them not to be doing that initial sales bit because those cold calls and those initial kind of getting to know you calls and kind of networking and that sort of stuff maybe could be a bit awkward for them because it's not really you know that's not where their personality sits. So I'd advise they probably do engage with someone to do that work for them. Uh, you know, there's various ways you can do that, but a lead gen person or business or, you know, whatever, to get them in the room ultimately with, with the clients once they've identified there's a need and then the conversations they're having are not cold, speculative conversations. They're qualified conversations about a tangible opportunity and it's their chance then to shine and, 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 and showcase their expertise. And I generally find that if they're talking about something they're confident talking about, even a really severe introverted person can still really shine in that environment. You know, person alongside them, an account management person or a salesperson to kind of, you know, uh, 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 nurture the client and have the kind of conversations around it, you know, the introduction and the outro and that sort of stuff just to kind of frame the conversation. But I still find the best person to sell in that environment is the expert. And, and if that person's an introvert, that's, that's not necessarily a challenge I don't find. It just, uh, it's just, again, it's, if you have your sales process, you understand how that works, what bit of that process is it, would it make sense to bring those people into? And it may be they're really good at that bit, but they're not very good at the account management afterwards. Or again, we've already said they might not be good about the sales bit initially, but they'll guarantee there'll be a point Or it could be in the background and they're not client facing at all. But what they do is sit in the background and write amazing content or you know write the proposals they're the brain behind the business and they don't actually do any public facing stuff they just sit behind so you know various ways but it doesn't mean that they can't add huge value to the business and be part of the sales process but just in a in a a different way than owning the whole thing and doing it from end to end um so yeah it's not i don't think that that shouldn't be a blocker it's just knowing your strengths and your weaknesses and applying yourself in the right way i guess in very simple terms and where you've built sales teams in the past or where you help clients to build sales teams now, do you do you put much active effort into looking at the like the personality types in that team and putting people in the right positions and and do you have a a way that you go about structuring that or or do you just kind of play it by ear and and figure out get to know people figure out what they're best at what what they're not so so good at or comfortable with and and then just fit it around that yeah i think i mean I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in recruitment, although uh, I do uh, live with a, an ex-recruitment consultant. She and my wife was in recruitment for 10 years, so I guess uh, uh, I learned <laughs> some things like os- osmosis, I guess. Um, I think the, the, the thing that I have learned from doing my own recruitment and certainly looking on behalf of my clients sometimes, but having done it in-house as well, um, if you're very, very clear, again... It, kind of is worth saying now that a lot of stuff that now to do with good business development is relatively boring i guess from outside looking in you know is admin it's process it's you know it's doing things repetitively over you know over and over again so if you've got a good process and you understand you've done that kind of 
analysis of your business to understand what what does your sales process actually look like you know is it heavily reliant on lots of cold outbound cold calling for example you know the publisher i work for you know, they 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 done it for years they knew that it was a volume game if you want to get hold of builders in southwest london you go around getting business cards out of corner shops or you go through the yellow pages and you just cold call until you get get a yes uh, you know and the, and the various other things we used to do but that you know that was the that was the volume game working in other agencies and businesses they get leads from different ways and it could be that actually strategic partnerships are a far more effective way of generating leads and you know you get your you get your leads in that way now straight away you've got two very different sales people if, if your if it if your leads come from lots of outbound cold stuff that you need a certain personality type certain type of salesperson who's happy to do it initially but also good has maybe some experience doing it or you know can show the aptitudes and the attitude to be able to get it on and do that and it's very you know a short-term results-based work right whereas a, a business that relies more on strategic partnerships that's probably not the well, it's, it's definitely not the same skill set so it wouldn't be the same person unless it's a small business and they're, and they're spinning lots of plates you know business that relies heavily on strategic partnerships would have someone with the skill set that, that that fitted that so it's not a volume game it's it's about nurturing relationships it's about identifying other businesses that you could collaborate with and starting conversations but it's not volume it's 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 you know a uh, high value low volume um and it's a very different type of sale so if you've done that analysis of your business or even have a, an idea of what's pros you're going to get leads from that would be the thing you need to do that internally before you start then thinking about who you might recruit because you could find someone who's really good at sales has an amazing background in doing cold lead gen and you know generating millions of pounds worth of business by running you know automated outbound emails and uh, linkedin uh, stuff and you know right all that great and then you bring them into a job where their main job is generating leads from strategic partnerships that's you know that's not the right person it's, it's sales but it's not it's not the same person so and you know that's quite obvious when you think about it but i've seen those mistakes be made so yeah this the, the answer is you write the job description very very clear on the, the process you have internally what part of that process you expect this person to fulfill and it's you know it's not rocket science within sales you look at someone who's got relevant experience uh, who's done a bit of it before uh, and in sales it's it's a bit of a personality thing so you will hopefully if you if you have some understanding of how it should work and have done a bit of it yourself you know kind of what you're looking for ultimately the proof is in the pudding to a certain degree so you can meet someone they've got experience chat have a good conversation get a good vibe from them but sales is very results based right so you put them into a role you'll know relatively quickly whether they're, they're a good fit for it um, which is why you have you know three month probation periods if not longer you have kpis and targets attached to those things sales is uh, it, it's a very accountable thing you you you, you, you know you you, uh, you sink or swim to a certain degree based on your results so if that person's not working out they're not doing it you'll, you'll know very quickly unlike i suppose some other roles where it might take longer for that to come out in the wash but um so yeah that's probably uh, other things we could consider but they're the things that come to mind i guess so what's the sort of process you go through for for nailing that sales and marketing mix for for a company that's launching a new product or or they're a new company um and they're they're still testing those channels figuring that out um and and just starting to get those flywheels turning before they think about scaling things up um what what does the process look like for figuring that out Uh, well, uh, I'm going to stick to the world that I know, uh, which is B2B sales. So I'm going to make an assumption that this is mainly going to be re- relevant for people who have got a 
relatively high value product with a with a low volume sell. So this is where there's some sort of consultative element in the sale, if you like. Uh, you know, the scenarios we've already spoken about, getting an expert in a room with someone, those, those sorts of scenarios. So what I'm not talking about is where there might be a, a digital transaction or, a, you know, e- e-commerce or, you know, kind of something which can be done purely digital because that's not my area of expertise. So uh, there's an assumption here. It's more on the kind of, uh, yeah, the consultative sales side of things. Um, I guess the, the, there's, in my experience... The, uh, most businesses within B2B get their leads from four different sources, uh, and this is backed up by statistics from various various uh, people, uh, this, but this is definitely the experience I've had over my career. So what I would think about an early stage uh, company, regardless of whether you even have a product in the market or not, to think about these four areas, if you like, and then start building a plan around those four areas, which you may be able to kind of build upon experience if you've been in market for a while and expand upon these things, or it could be that you just set your stall out to try exploring these four areas. But for me, having it split in that way gives you, it, it sort of chunks it up and then you can start building a plan again around those four areas. So the four areas very briefly would be first and foremost client referrals and, um, so, you know, if you haven't got clients, obviously that's tricky, but you can start thinking about the fact that if you have any inroads into into clients, you've have any early conversations, and as soon as you do start having conversations with clients, over time in the B2B environment, you should expect existing clients to be a very strong source of, of new business and new leads. And it's obvious, it's introductions, it's referrals, like you would in your personal life. If someone asks you for an introduction or refer those businesses or individuals which you know you would trust and feel you know would be good at a job whether that's a you know a plumber to help a mate out whether it's a garage to take your car to or you know whatever it might be it's the, it's the same within you know any b2b environment so having clients that you trust and you know and respect you for what you do if they get asked or if they become aware of other opportunities within their professional network you'd hope that you would be introduced and referred in that scenario so it's about ultimately that's about client satisfaction it's about making sure your current clients or your new clients when you win them you know you're over delivering you're really they're really happy with you you're you know you're because you only get those referrals in that scenario but you can also lean against that in time ask you know ultimately ask for those introductions and make sure your your existing clients know the kind of clients you want to get and if they've got people in their network, they'll make those introductions. So really important. That's you know that that's a focus, uh, and that would be you know in time you could you could easily see that be a, a, you know, a third or more of your revenue would come from introductions from existing clients. So it's you know it's very very important as a channel if you like. It, it, and again, this sort of doesn't feel like sales. So a lot of people would say, well, that's not sales. Well, if it's new business into your business, it's definitely sales. You're still being introduced to a, a third party that you've never worked with before. You've still got to get that opportunity and turn it into a new client. They don't come through the door with their checkbook ready to sign, but they do generally convert at a much higher rate because the level of trust is that much higher. Someone they know has recommended you to do a job they've asked for. You know, you'd hope that they, all, they will convert at a higher rate, but you still have to sell to them. So it's still it's still new business. It's still sales. It's still a channel you should consider part of your sales mix. The second we've already talked on a little bit is partnership, strategic partnerships. Every business will rub shoulders with another business of some description in the delivery of what they do, whether it's software platforms, whether it's other professional service providers, whether it's just other uh, people in your industry that you know and you trust most businesses will end up sharing work between other businesses in some way. So having a, uh, and having a, so that happens organically and a lot of businesses, that's just how they grow. People tell them about work or people they know say, Oh yeah, I know uh, Plexi. Yeah. They're yeah, really good. Digital marketing with Sash. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's introduce them. And that just, it just happens automatically. Um, but actually in time, you should be considering this more strategically. So, potentially looking at a bit of a mind map is what one I've used a lot. Think about your client and then all the different businesses and services that they'd also be talking to. 
you know, can you almost build a bit of a network of other businesses yourself within those to say, okay, they might, you know, legal might be an area that I, they really lean on, but I don't have any contacts within legal in this space. If I'm trying to work with SaaS companies, are there some lawyers who also specialize in working with SaaS companies? If so, maybe I should have some conversations with them. It's got nothing to do with what I do as a service, but I may be able to refer my clients to them if they have a legal question. And I'd be great if I knew a lawyer I could refer them to because it helps me add value to my client uh, relationship. But also in time, that might be reciprocal if they find out about an opportunity that matches what you do. You'd hope that they introduce you as well. So over time as a business, I really think about your strategic partnerships uh, and, and what other businesses you can align yourself with. And again, this can be up to a third of your revenue uh, over time. So it's not a, it's an, it's a significant challenge channel uh, over time for most B2B companies. Um, so well worth the effort and consideration to, to make it work as best as it can. And that can include referral fees or different or, you know, guest posting on each other's sites, as simple as liking and commenting on each other's social media posts, whatever it might be. You know, you nurture those relationships as much as you would any other within business um, you know you can't just sit there and wait wait for the phone to ring sort of thing um the third one is events and, uh, and networking which is challenging at the moment i know but actually i've been laying loads of it over the last couple of weeks uh, conferences you know uh, of going digital meetups are going digital there's virtual events almost well they i could be on one all day every day pretty much if i really wanted to so still a great opportunity to get your name out there align yourself with the market that you want to be in meet new people both perspective client but we've talked about and indeed just other interesting people in, in your market the more they're out there raising your brand awareness being involved events uh both external events and potentially your own events in time really really important channel and again can be up to a third a third of your um of your of your revenue a new business revenue so you know you've got 90 percent uh if not more of your new business from those three channels potentially as a b2b company really really important but we've already talked about 90% of new business. We haven't yet talked about probably what people consider the more traditional element of sales, outbound sales, et cetera. Yes, it's really important. And for some companies, it's it's the be all and end all. But actually, your kind of marketing, outbound, lead gen, newsletters, social media, your website, et cetera, in my experience, in consultative B2B selling is often, you know, it, it's really, really important, but it's not as important as other elements. But this is this is the mix that you need to find because I'm saying it could be this, it could be that. Every business is different. You may find that your business really over-indexes on a certain type of activity, a certain type of marketing. You know, it could be strategic partnerships. It could be events. It could be whatever. So but I would think consider those four channels, if you like, those four sources of leads. And over time, monitor where your leads and your business is coming from. And then you'll find the, 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 the mix that's right for you. And then it's about apportioning your time and your effort uh, to those different channels. I've found that that structure is really useful because just, again, it's just about focusing your mind and, and making a plan around those four things. Obviously there's lots of detail underneath that, but for the purpose of answering your question, that's probably enough. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of detail in each of those that we could probably spend three hours talking about each of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm com I constantly find that interesting that people do hone in on direct sales, digital marketing as as the be all and end all and for some companies like you say it is there are companies that that can see ridiculous exponential growth just off one of those one of those channels um but in a lot of cases that, that's not that's not necessarily true um and and not just for sales but particularly in the SaaS space in terms of revenue 
the amount of the amount of revenue increase that comes from acquisition um, can actually be quite low compared to the amount that comes from increasing your your average revenue per user um, or, or just reducing churn but still people have this fixation on acquisition through uh, field sales or, or digital marketing why is that yeah well it, it's what people think of when they think of sales I guess you know uh, and I, I unfortunately still have a lot of clients where effectively the conversation starts with I need more leads you know and yes ultimately that is what it all boils down to but you can't just turn on a tap you know there isn't like a magic wand you can wave that just starts pouring leads into a business so think thinking about all the potential ways you can generate leads for your business strategically uh, uh, making a plan around it means that yes part of that plan may well be doing lots of outbound uh, digital marketing acquisition direct acquisition stuff the cold prospects but how much more effective would that outbound be if it's complemented with uh, a, a, an awareness in the market through networking and, and through events um, and alignment with other businesses in the industry? So your kind of credibility is that much more because you're seen in the market to be aligned with other leaders in, in your field. And obviously, if your clients can also make an introduction to you uh, for you, even better. So th- th- I'm not, these four channels aren't kind of mutually exclusive and they're all kind of completely independent. They, they complement each other massively. You know, if you're doing, let's you know, so let's say talk about SEO. A big part of SEO these days is kind of digital PR, or about effectively getting your content out onto the web somewhere, not just putting it on your own website and expecting someone to find it. Now, if you've got a strategic partnership with a large organisation in your industry that has a high domain authority and a high profile in in your market, and you can write a really interesting piece of content that they're willing to put on their website your content is going to get far more eyeballs and be far more valuable from an SEO point of view on your partner website's blog by them sharing it, talking about it, the traffic they get, et cetera. If it's deep linking back into some relevant landing pages on your website, that's far more effective than sticking it on your own website, tweeting about it and sticking on LinkedIn and putting it in your newsletter and hoping that it converts as a piece of content, right? So they're they're not, it's it's leveraging your network and your partnerships to make your own digital marketing that much more effective is is certainly part of that. So just doing digital marketing as a standalone thing will not be as effective if you haven't got those other pillars in place because uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're that it's about your, it's about trust. B2B is about trust and all these other things are about are indicators to your potential clients about your credibility in the market, your ability to do the job. You know, are you uh, are you a startup or you scale up? You're an enterprise SaaS company. You know that a lot of that comes from, yes, you can pour over the numbers of how much revenue you're making, how many you know clients you have, et cetera. But if you're, company that you keep the logos you have on your website the the, the the stuff that you're interacting with on social media is of an ilk which is of that much you know higher value uh up the food chain then you know you're, you're punching above your weight and people will perceive you as maybe potentially more than you are but that's marketing right you know you're trying to grow something from scratch you want to you've got to play that game so yes digital marketing is really important but actually it's far more effective by, by including those other things as well but yeah people people focus in on it because that's they, they think that's that's the cold face and that is to a certain degree it's you know it's the marketing uh uh you know the the, the marketing funnel you need to get leads in the top and leads are not just the direct acquisition stuff that's that's the point i, I, I make as much as i can as as often as i can because uh, in my experience that it, it, it works out like that you can't just focus on one thing you need to think about all of them and they all complement each other in some way um, it, in some ways, sometimes in ways that you can't, you can't 
measure, but you know you need to be thinking about them all and having a mix which allows time and has the the right effort against each of those channels ultimately. Do you see a difference by the size of the business as well? Do you see smaller smaller businesses with teams of founders and uh, like early stage startups? They work best with a different mix to to bigger multinational corporations with forty thousand employees across the world. Do you do you see that there's a difference in in how that how that sales and marketing mix works for, for different size companies? I guess I mean I, I, I don't want to go too far up my comfort zone, so I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about. Uh, <laughs> businesses up to a certain scale i mean certainly in recent experience of working with on behalf of my clients with some relatively large SaaS companies it just becomes more um more siloed ultimately you know uh, unfortunately the bigger the business you know you have departments and those departments may or may not work particularly well with with each other um you know some businesses are set up but better than others right but in a kind of sales and marketing led business where it's a core core to the business hopefully you'll find that those two uh, you know departments if you like are aligned i was listening to um a podcast or an interview uh, with rory sutherland the other day he's a you know a relatively famous uh, marketing uh, kind of expert guy uh, and uh, behavioral economics is kind of his thing his thing and he talks within marketing and he made an interesting point saying that marketing-led businesses traditionally and still to the case to a certain degree are businesses that have brand is really important to the business and he references fmcg companies being being uh, being that so procter and gamble unilever these sorts of brands at the bigger level through to you know obviously smaller independents will invest hugely in brand and believe in the power of marketing because that's ultimately the way that you get eyeballs and you get awareness and then if someone walks into a supermarket they recognize your tin of beans or your you know pack of pack of crisps or whatever it is and they buy you because they you know they've seen your marketing it's very hard just to get that uh, awareness on the shelf so they invest in marketing and he made the point that as a result those organizations often see marketeers at, at board level often even running the company certainly the company uh, believes in and invests in marketing and realizes the importance of it at, 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 as part of the organization whereas he compared that to other businesses he, he talked about technology companies i don't think i don't remember him mentioning any any specific ones but he said companies where they've kind of built something and they've got like a, a product you know technical product uh, and the people who own the company run the company are the technical people the engineers who built that thing and they they think well it, it's amazing it's an amazing technical thing we poured over spent months and years of r&d making it so people surely will like it and they try and sell it on the, the you know the the features that it has etc the classic kind of like challenge with selling high tech high tech products whereas actually that and so as a result they don't believe in marketing they see that as a sort of fluffy you know sales and marketing being a sort of fluffy thing that happens over there whereas ultimately it's still really important to those businesses right like their customers won't understand their amazing technical widget unless they turn it into something a bit more understandable they still need to have a brand like what do they stand for what's their vision mission and values you know there's lots of jargon around that space but ultimately they still know to invest in brand and marketing so it's it, it, it's interesting that the, the the bigger the company the the more you see that that those challenges coming because there are big companies that actually they you know they, they still manage to survive maybe through the power of uh, VC funding uh, rather than the the, the, the sort of profit uh, uh, profitability of the business. The companies that do believe in, in the power of sales and marketing are generally the ones that survive a long time. And you see this time and again, it's, it's quite timely now given the, 
stuff that's going on, the amount of content that's been put out, regurgitated from previous recessions about the importance of brand, the importance of marketing, the importance of continuing to to keep your profile in the market, because those that don't, unfortunately, will come out the other side and, and suffer hugely as, as a result. So, you know, it's, it's uh, small companies, you, you kind of, you have to, it's scrappy, you need to get leads, you need to get business in. Unfortunately, the bigger you get, especially in the tech space, if you do that kind of VC route and you're relying on cash coming into the business from from rounds of investment, you can kind of inf- inf- overinflate the business and, uh, uh, and and not realize the importance of your sales and marketing. And that potentially that comes undone, especially in times like this, when re- some, somehow some, suddenly you're, those things are in far sharper focus. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure whether I really answered your question there, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I did at some point. Yeah, you, know, you definitely did. Um, yeah, uh, in times like this, it is definitely the case that that a lot of SaaS businesses and tech companies are leaning more heavily on on sales and marketing and, and are coming unstuck um, without having those processes and and those those flywheels spinning already. Um, and it is a a scary wake up call for for a lot of tech companies that rely on funding but even in normal times um a stat that really shocks me is that 75 percent of businesses that go through series a funding uh fail 75 percent who go through series b funding fail 75 percent who go through series c funding fail and so times like this highlight the importance of it but actually even in normal times as well the importance of of getting it right and having that profitable sales machine is uh it is massive um yeah i mean the, the, the having worked on the uh investment side of things uh to a degree and and now you know i follow a lot of uh kind of angel investor type content podcasts etc in that space if you think about it from the investor point of view um if you, you know, it's a numbers game because that's that sales thing, right? So if you, you know, you've got a portfolio of investments, um, uh, I think it varies across sectors. So I'm not going to give like specific uh, numbers, but it ranges between like one in one in 25 to one in 100 of being considered a relatively good hit rate as far as returns are concerned. So if you have a portfolio of 25 investments, you're effectively saying you only expect one of those businesses to actually return your investment and go and go pop, you know, to turn into a unicorn or whatever it is. That, that's a relatively early kind of angel stage investment. So, you know, those statistics would be different for Series A, Series B, et cetera. But you think about those numbers, they're effectively saying 24 out of the 25 companies they invest in, at the best case scenario, are going to go are going to go under. So, you know, or, or they're not going to return their investment. So they might carry on as a kind of lifestyle business, but not turn into a, you know, significant enough business to return uh, return their investment. So ultimately, that, that they're the statistics that you know, you're operating in if you're an early stage company, if you go down that route of, of, of funding, whereas, you know, if you bootstrap and build your business in a different way, then you make, you know, you make your own odds, right? You have far more control, control over that to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's sales marketing is if you believe in it now or sorry, if you believe in it before what's happening now. Uh, and this is going to, you know, expose some companies, I guess. But ultimately, if you believe in the importance and the power of sales and marketing, we're you know for some others but you know, if there's something that you intrinsically believed in and invested in and thought was important to your business before the current circumstance uh, you know, the current situation 
you know, you, you've got you've got to believe that it was still really important, right? Because it's not suddenly gone away. It's not suddenly not a thing to worry about anymore. So if you thought about thought marketing or you knew sales and marketing were important for your organization before the coronavirus happened, appreciate your budgets will be smaller and your team may be smaller and you know it's not gonna be doing all the stuff you might have done before, you know, in its entirety. But you can't stick your head in the sand and wait for it to go away. You have to continue doing something uh, to keep your presence in the market, to keep conversations going with people, to keep generating some element of, of new leads into the business. Conversion rates and times, lags, et cetera, are going to be completely different. Of course, your metrics will be going completely out the window, but this is not the time to stop doing that stuff. Uh, and ultimately, you're kind of contradicting yourself if you do, because if you invested it before, why would you just stop all of a sudden? Because we will, you know, this world will carry on in some way shape or form the world you know we're not the, the global economy isn't going to close down it will be massively different and it may take a long time to come come back to some semblance of normality but come back it will at some stage and you know you kind of have to make the decision is your business going to be trading on the other side and if so you need to carry on doing something because you guarantee your competitors will be if you're not or at least one of them will be and come out the other side they're, they're the ones that have the market share they're the ones that people will be uh, talking to come out the other side because they'll be you know the ones that were continuing to uh, to build a presence and have conversations it's uh, you know I, I obviously it's really really hard for individual companies wrestling with the ways it's affected them um so you know it's very very top level advice i appreciate but it's you know it, it has been proven time and time again in previous recessions that continuing to market through in some way is really really important and hopefully that message is getting through because you, you, i do see it a lot but is it is it speaking to the converting? You know, I see it mostly in marketing and dogs and you know being peddled by marketeers who obviously have a vested interest in it as well. So uh, whether that message is getting through to the people who probably need to hear it the most, uh, i.e., the people who aren't doing marketing and are sticking their head in the sand, are those people hearing that message as loudly and as clearly as they should? I, I guess that's an open question because uh, I live in the bubble I live in, so I see this all the stuff all the time. I've seen it previously, and so I'm a big believer in it. But you know, uh, <laughs> hopefully, it's getting through. The message is getting through to people who probably need to hear it more than I do. <laughs> yeah, now more than ever, <laughs> it's well, essential yeah. that you invest <laughs> in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't get me wrong like I'm, you know i'm as, I'm as uh, uh what's the word uh you know skeptical about that as as, as the next man because i recognize exactly what it looks like uh and, you know of course of course uh it, it sounds like uh, agencies uh, and marketeers try to justify their existence and uh you know claw back the budget that they might have lost uh but it, i said the statistics do prove it out it's not just people's opinion uh there are plenty of statistics that prove the power of marketing prove the power of doing this stuff uh, you just have to look at the look at the stats. So uh, yes, they're peddled by people who have a vested interest in in that status quo, uh, but you, you can't argue with the facts, right? So it's um, it, you know it's uh, it is uh, yes, I, I share your skepticism, your <laughs> your wry smile and laugh, uh, but it is you know the, the, the stats are there to prove it. So it's not just someone's opinion uh, who's sort of saying, please give my agency money because you know I need money. It's uh, if you don't do this, you may not have a business out the other side of it, which you know is is the stark reality. So it's uh, yeah. It's kind of it is uh, it's a true a truism. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I completely agree with you. I was just playing devil's advocate there, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's, I mean it is such a cliche, um, but it, it really is the case that had this happened five ten years ago, um, that the opportunity to to get those eyeballs on 
through social platforms, through through digital, would not have been there. It would have been a very different situation. The the ability to really step on the gas with with marketing had the world shut down 15 years ago without major social platforms, without all of the like the amount of time that people are spending consuming media on their phone and on uh, on their computers. Um, it, it would have been a very different story for for the world um, and and the world of work, but also for marketing. Um, and uh, yeah, completely agree. The first thing that we did when the recession, well, I mean, the recession hasn't, hasn't really bitten in yet, but as soon as the lockdown went in place was step on the gas of um, producing more content, increasing increasing our output of of content. That was that was the knee jerk reaction, which I think a lot of people even now are, are still very much rabbit in the headlights syndrome. Have you got any tips for people that are uh, have lost funding, have kind of put put recruitment and scale on on pause? And I mean, for everybody, the goal right now is to survive. Um, basically but um for people that still have that rabbit in headlight syndrome and and need to see a way through this have you got any tips for how they can go about marketing selling in in what are fairly sensitive times uh yeah i mean it's very hard to give blanket advice uh at, at points like this because i appreciate that, you know, have the conversation up over the last three weeks. I've, you know, having back-to-back calls with business owners and sales and BD people, and you know, and obviously talking to and knowing people and you know, in my personal as well as my professional life and how varied uh, it's impacted people's lives. So it's very hard to give kind of blanket advice because ultimately, you know, there's such a plethora of different scenarios um, that you know it, it is a very much a case-by-case basis to a certain degree, but there are some kind of themes i guess emerging which seem to be uh, relatively common um take, taking the assumption that by this stage hopefully you've done some sort of forecasting financial forecasting financial planning to look at you know where how your business stands in the short to medium to long term scenario planning you know how the impact how long the impact may last for and you know working out you know how that's going to impact your business if you've got zero revenue now ultimately how long can you survive on zero revenue before you have to think about you know really serious consequences for the business and you have to you have to ultimately rip that band-aid and have those have those conversations um and i'd hope that most people have done that already if not that would be you know priority number one get that cash flow modeling done you know where where do we stand now and where do we stand if this continues for six months nine months whatever it might be because you just don't know it's, it's it could be a long long time so doing that basic financial planning stuff is 100% really important. I think accountants are really earning their stripes at the moment, kind of doing that stuff. If you don't have an accountant, then just build a basic uh, spreadsheet or just write down the numbers on a piece of paper and work it out, you know, just how, how long can I survive based on what I've got in the bank now uh, and what I can see coming in the next couple of months. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two, about how you might approach sales and marketing. Um, I think the Again, I didn't. Uh, I'm kind of stealing this phrase from another lady, Katie Street, who runs uh, also runs a BD consultancy. She used, and again, she might have stolen from someone else, but this, I heard it from her first. Um, the <laughs> phrase uh, helping, "helping is the new selling," um, which I think is the nice kind of how I've some of my clients and even myself have some success over the last few weeks uh, generating new conversations. 
is that, and this, I found myself giving actually advice I would give even in normal times, but just really, really laser focused, give loads of focus given the current climate. If you can find a way of adding the word value is used quite a lot in sales. If you can help provide interesting insight, content, what just or just a friendly voice to your existing clients as well as your prospects, helping them in some way. Um, that that's probably the message I'd be leading with at the moment. You know, this is not the time to be leading with aggressive sales messages. You shouldn't be doing that anyway. But ultimately, a lot of people do, and it does work for some people. Don't get me wrong. But you know, ha- having a really aggressive kind of uh, sales and marketing led approach at the moment, trying to you know being overtly uh, uh, kind of commercial about you know selling selling to people. You know, this that's just going to fall on deaf ears at the moment. So, really being mindful of the tone of what you put out, um, and you know, ultimately trying to leave with that helpful uh, kind of um, uh, tone, I guess. But it needs to be genuine. I mean, it's funny. Someone, uh, someone showed me. Uh, there was a show reel I saw the other day. Someone had spliced together all of the Corona ads that have been put out in. This, I think it was mainly in the states. And there was, I got the impression there was probably about ten to fifteen ads that had been sort of spliced together, and they're all exactly the same. Exactly the same. The same kind of plinky plonky piano music, the same, almost the same copy. Uh, they all have the same kind of like uh, um, stock images of, of people in their homes, kids doing activities, empty streets, uh, and the same. You know, we're here to help. We're here to help. We're here to help. We're here to help. It was fun. so I, I I kind of I hear myself saying this and realise that I'm just doing exactly the same as what these ads are saying. And they're you know big big global brands. You know, we're talking about small businesses. And this, you know, this kind of showreel just was taking the mick out of them, basically saying they're all doing, they're all saying exactly the same. That is, you know, that, and you're seeing it in 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 social social uh, society generally, helping, supporting the NHS, charitable things, supporting your local community, you know, getting shopping for an old person who lives down your street, whatever it might be. That's businesses like that now as well collaborating with people being part of community i'm sure you must see it in the natwest accelerator hopefully more now than ever i've certainly seen it in 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 the in the context of things like TechSpark and you know the local kind of tech ecosystem um eco, uh, you know co-working spaces etc etc coming together to help each other if i'm doing anything at the moment sales marketing led i'd be aligning myself with that sort of stuff to see how, how can i help my community how can i help my industry whether that's my peers or whether that's my clients whatever it might be to, to get through this together. And that's, you know, it's very top level and it manifests itself in lots of different ways. I know somebody runs an event and talking about how they could, you know, do carry on. Well, and I said, well, if you, you do an event, you're trying to attract a certain type of person. Why don't you try and find some people who are doing interesting, cool stuff, given Corona, some interesting kind of campaigns happening and bring them in uh, to include it, 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 in your event, and, and, and that's what they've done, and, and, it, and, it, you know, and it looks like it's doing really well. So that's a specific example of how they're still doing marketing. It's still potentially part of their sales process to, to engage with new people, but they're doing it through the lens of showcasing a really interesting, cool thing that's happening. That's you know doing good and supporting uh, the NHS and various charities. So you know, there's no reason you can't do one without the other, right? And that would be good practice at the best of times. But now it's just laser focused, I think. And uh, yeah, so helping is the new selling, uh, and whatever makes sense in the context of your business, I would leave. I would leave with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really is the case that everything that uh, that you should be doing as a as a business leader or a salesperson or a marketer ultimately is exactly what you should have been doing uh, all the time anyway. It, it's just 
it's just reduced your margin for error and made it more important that you get this stuff right and that you do it in volume. Um, I think a lot of senior business leaders are still really just paralyzed by fear. We're a month into, into lockdown now and they, they just have no idea what to do to, to save jobs, to, to save the business, to, to keep revenue afloat. Um, and really are rabbit, really rabbit in headlights, kind of paralyzed at the moment. But in that B2B space, like you say, it is so important to just go and have open conversations with, with clients and, and, and do that more and more and more and, and keep uh, adding value wherever you can, figuring out, just, just speaking to them, picking up the phone, having a completely personal open conversation about your situation, about their situation, which is all stuff that you should do on a regular basis anyway, but it is super important where you, like the reality is that selling and winning new business in the next few months it is going to be really tough. And so retaining those clients that you have and over communicating with them it is massively important. And again, this, this is all stuff that, that should be happening anyway, but uh, it is just really exacerbated. In terms of helping other businesses and, and opportunities that, that businesses have now to, to help the, the community and help others, um, how can people go about doing that? What, what have you seen that's been interesting from, from that side of things? Well, I think this part of this is back to one of the points I was making before about strategic partnerships and events uh, being, you know, really important of, 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 of you know, sales or business development strategy or plan. If you know, if before coronavirus, you had a clearly identified group of businesses partners that you were, you know, you were collaborating with. The, the obvious thing is to go and see what they're doing and, you know, and how they're, and how they're doing and et cetera, et cetera. And through those conversations, you may be able to identify opportunities to collaborate on something. So, you know, we, we're talking, we're doing this podcast. I've been on various other, I mean, so just talking about personal experience of the last few weeks. I've been on various webinars and, 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 and helped collaborate on, on, on things where it was, you know, this is all related to coronavirus. I've been asked some of the questions have been asked today, kind of various in various uh, situations over the last few weeks, um, whether that's you know through TechSpark or whether collaboration with a few other businesses to, to arrange our own webinar. People already knew, people I know in the local ecosystem, they're looking to help and support their communities of you know, given my expertise within business development and sales. Obviously, there's people doing a similar thing on I'm sure every aspect of business, whether it's you know HR, legal, finance etc etc there'll be similar you know as i said before there's endless webinars every day so if i was you know starting from scratch now i guess if i hadn't if i had been one of those people who might you know you might consider been you know rabbit in headlights or head in the sand or whatever euphemism you want to use over the last few weeks so i'm now thinking okay right i, I do want to think about doing some business development or sales or marketing again one of the easiest ways to to do that along the lines of what we just said with you know help, helping being the new selling is to yeah look what's going on in your industry are there membership organizations are there you know industry bodies are there conferences or meetups that would usually be happening that obviously aren't physically but maybe happening digitally get involved you know and speaking before their speaking opportunities at the very least attend be present on the webinars 
often they have sort of networking still in, involved. I've been on various platforms where you kind of get, you know, uh, randomly uh, introduced to other people as part of the as part of the call. So there's still opportunities to start conversations and meet people. And as I said, if you can be there as an expert and offer help and support somehow, I'd be 100% trying to get involved in those sorts of conversations. There'd be it's ironic really given the fact that events real life events are all being cancelled but i haven't been on so many uh and networking is a big part of what i do you know I, i'm out a couple of nights a week if not more uh networking um in you know normal times i'm probably doing the same if not more now but digitally you know sat in this room in my loft upstairs on my computer meeting people from all over the country all over the world indeed um so there's definitely opportunities. And I'd say that's good, you know, identify the market. If you've got a clear market that you work in, a clear client type, clear industry, every industry will have events, meetups, virtual things going on that you can attend. And actually, it might, again, what I've seen, a lot of these, what would usually be kind of like uh, behind closed doors or behind, you know, paywalls, membership organizations where you need to sign up to be a member to get access or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, we usually be a high ticket item event to go to. They're all because they've reacted along the lines of they're looking to help. They're looking to, you know, support the community. They're dropping their rates or some are giving it away, giving membership away free. What used to be events that were behind closed doors are now open to the public effectively. So actually it's an even better opportunity to network and have conversations with new people through other organizations that I guarantee will be all, you know, it doesn't matter how niche your industry is, guarantee there'll be a meetup or a conference or something happening in your space. They probably daily, if not weekly, if not monthly, globally, that you can go and join and be part of. Uh, and, you know, that is good practice again at the best of times, but now you can do that. And the comfort of your own kit, go to London, fly to Cologne, whatever it is, you can do it from your own bedroom on your laptop and, and, and still meet people and, and learn and whatever it might be so that's it, that those specific advice i give around that would be uh, sniffing out opportunities to do that sort of stuff and i don't care how niche your business is you guarantee there'll be something along those lines to get involved in how are you sniffing out those those events and those opportunities uh well uh, the same way i would do if i was you know think about the advice i gave before about building out that kind of partner strategy um doing that kind of mind map client in the middle and you're thinking about all the different businesses and industry uh, you know it, other kind of professional service providers platforms etc one one of the types of businesses i'll be looking at or a couple of different types would be membership organizations uh which could be so if you look if you're targeting let's look at make it specific if you're targeting marketeers uh, at SaaS companies those marketeers may be members of as individuals, maybe members of certain professional uh, uh, membership organisations for marketeers. Uh, you know, uh, I can't remember some CIM or whatever. You know, IPA or whatever. You know, some of these different marketing-related membership organisations. They, as individuals, may be members of those organisations. So you may want to also become a member or look at how you can align yourself with them. Or have they got any events? Or, you know, there may be open events you can attend where your clients will be there because you know they're members. So that would be part of that strategy anyway. But you can do that now. Uh, at a business level, so if they work for a SaaS company and their SaaS company is within uh, fintech, for example, what financial services industry bodies are there? Um, membership organisations, uh, not-for-profit. So Fintech West is a great one in, in, in the southwest of the UK, part of the Fintech Alliance, which is a nationwide um, uh, thing which supports the fintech industry. So if you're in with fintech and all the different elements of fintech, whether you're an actual fintech platform or a supplier or consultant or tech events are not real world events anymore but guarantee they'll be doing things digitally 
will be some way of getting involved in those communities to still, you know, meet people and network, etc. As I said, don't care how niche your sector is, these things will still exist. So I'd be thinking about your client, all about the client, right? Where's your client? What's your industry? Who do you work with? Think about that mind map of all the other different types of businesses and organizations that also, you know, I talk about the metaphor of uh, who's fishing in the same pond. So the, the pond being the industry or the market you, you operate within, who else has got a line into that pond? What other service providers and businesses are, are in that, are in that fishing in that pond? How can you align yourself with those other, uh, I'm not a fisherman by the way, but I, I do like the analogy. Um, who else is fishing in that pond? Uh, uh, Buddhist, Buddhists don't fish. Um, so you know who else is fishing in that pond, and then you can you can basically align yourself with the, with them somehow. Whether that's just and again in the context of what we we're just talking about, are one of those other businesses is one is that uh, HR provider that recruitment company that you've identified that also works with the, the type of business you want to work with because they're a specialist recruiter for that industry. So guarantee they're having those conversations with the similar people that you want to talk to. Have are they hosting an event? Have they are the, do they sponsor a meetup? that you could potentially go to because if they're sponsoring that meetup, the guarantee one of the main reasons they're doing it is because they expect some of their clients to attend that meetup so they can have a conversation with them. Well, lo and behold, you can also go to that meetup and be having conversations with the same clients they want to talk to. You know, it, it, it's, it's very, very logical when you think about it in that way. And if you do that mind map, think about all those different businesses and then identify specific businesses within all those different uh, areas, um, do a bit of research, look online, look at their websites, go on meetup.com, go on Eventbrite, et cetera, et cetera. There will be events. Guarantee it. As I said, don't care how niche you are, there will be events that you can go and, uh, you know, that, that's the specific thing we're talking about now is identifying events. They, they will exist. Uh, just, you know, that goes back to that boring bit. It's the boring bit. It's the desk. Give me a list of all the events in my industry. You know, that doesn't, that, that, that button doesn't exist, unfortunately, but, but you know, the, it takes a bit of legwork. But once you've got that list, the, the, the legwork is done. Like any plan, initially the research bit is the difficult bit. You, you build out a nice list of all the events and the partners you have. And then your job is maybe on a monthly basis, going back through that list, any new events being, th- being uh, mentioned that I can attend to, you know, it becomes part of your, your plan each month to keep ahead of the game. What events are happening? What are my partners saying? You know, big don't want to go for that you know that the initial thing would just be building that list what's going on in the next couple of weeks sign up to a few webinars and meetups and virtual events and stuff and, and get involved you know but it's, it's most simple awesome uh it's not actually something i've taken massive advantage of so far um but uh for us that that would be massively useful as well um have you had a chance to get involved in in any projects helping out the the community in the last few weeks or um uh have you have you just been keeping your head above water and and just been trying to stay afloat um little, little bit of both i guess um the, the, the my immediate reaction to the current situation, I think I, I, I look at the date on LinkedIn. So it will, it, the, the stats will prove. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think it was that it was that Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday of that first week when we were all told to stay at home. Um, was to go onto LinkedIn and post that I was available to talk to business owners and BD and salespeople to be a, an agony aunt if you like if nothing else to talk about business development and, and help provide support and advice as best as I can you know uh, uh, 
no one. I, I was inundated with, with requests. I spent the last three weeks pretty much on the back of that one post having back-to-back conversations with people who, who reacted. And some of those people were people I've never met before, you know, obviously the, the power of social media, right? But that's one thing I did. And none of that's paid work. I've done all that pro bono. God knows how many hours I've racked up giving away free advice to people. But, you know, absolutely more than happy to do it because I recognise it's really, really important at the moment that people have that, have that, uh, you know, that opportunity to have that sounding board. But I'd hope that other professional, uh, you know, providers in other spaces are doing similar things, right? There'll be HR experts and legal experts and et cetera doing the same stuff. And I, and I have seen it. So that's definitely happening. So that's one thing I did uh, kind of off, off, off my back, if you like. Um, I think, you know, that I do network, uh, sorry, mentoring is via the NatWest Accelerator. It's obviously how we met. Um, so I've had conversations with some of the my mentees there, if you like, which uh, we know so continuing to, to to help that community, uh, which is great. And I love doing that. Again, it's all pro bono stuff, so I don't expect anything in return. It's not why I do it. It's uh, uh, you know I, I really enjoy the process. Hopefully, the mentees would get something from it. That's the general idea. But I, I, I get loads back myself as well. So it's partly selfish, if nothing else. Uh, <laughs> the, the, um, uh, I, I have a mentee at University of Bristol, so I've continued to support him uh, through it all. He's had to move from Mexico back to uh, live with his parents in Northern Ireland again, so it's been a, been a bit of a challenge for him, but he's continuing to run his business and, uh, and do okay, given the current circumstances. Um, uh, I've also mentored as part of Babasa, which is an amazing organisation in Bristol who support predominantly young people uh, from BAME backgrounds uh, who want to get into uh, professional careers all different shapes and sizes the creative industries and marketing index is really high with their young people as, a, as an industry they want to get into so uh, I, I help and support as, as many people there as I can um, there's an event they're doing uh, on Monday and Tuesday next week I think it's called skillbassa.com you'll find uh, the event a bunch of young people and amazing really inspirationally mostly a bunch of young people helping each other out you know this isn't about you know, old fogies like me handing out advice. It's about young people helping each other, showing how they've managed to build careers, doing certain things or whatever. And, you know, so mate, and again, they, you know, they continue to do a great job. And, you know, the fact they're doing it all remotely and uh, without, you know, with limited funding as a not-for-profit is, it makes it even more admirable. Um, that's probably it really. Apart from that, you know, probably like a lot of people, I've had a WhatsApp group set up locally. I didn't do it myself, but local doctors set it up um, straight after lockdown. So we've been helping each other out, doing each other's shopping. Uh, we've got a little kind of uh, um, fruit and veg side WhatsApp group. So people are sharing. We've got a pumpkin plant put on our front wall this morning by one of our neighbours, uh, sharing seedlings and growing tips. Yeah. And, you know, I've been offering, given my background in horticulture, trying to give a bit of advice where I can about how to look after <laughs> trees. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's been, it's been a mixed bag. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I'm trying to, I, you know, I try to do as much kind of good as I can in the world generally uh, and I, I certainly haven't stopped uh, over the last few weeks if anything obviously is even even more important now that we we help where we can so uh, you know that, that there's a few I mean there's maybe some other things a, they're the few things that came came to mind but yeah I've certainly kept myself busy <laughs> yeah how have you managed keeping up with so many calls like it, it's been uh it's been a challenge uh helping Uh, that many other business people and also just looking after yourself and your own business at the same time uh yeah i mean it's it it is a challenge and it's it's an ever-evolving situation uh i'm sure if my my wife carolyn was next to me now she'd uh, she'd have a wry smile in her face uh you know she (laughs) my wife is uh, my wife is a yoga teacher Uh, we have have a six-year-old six-year-old son 
practice. So um, luckily, I guess, it's a double-edged sword, but my wife's, most of my wife's yoga work uh, was in school. So she teaches uh, yoga to, to children in schools, to primary school children. Um, so obviously, as soon as the schools closed, that was her, her work dried up. But as a result, she's been able to step in and, and kind of do the homeschooling with, with Curtis. Um, but she's, she still needs to run her business. Uh, she still needs to, you know, she still wants to produce content, video content of her uh, doing yoga lessons for kids, which, you know, lots of kids at home, you know, still a need for, for them to engage and, 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 do, and do the yoga they usually do at school. Again, if not more important now than ever. So we've been trying to work out a routine which evolves every week of, of me working at certain times and looking after Curtis at other times so she can uh, go into one of the rooms in the house and record a yoga video and et cetera, et cetera. So that's been a evolving situation where, you know, uh, got diary blocked out and, you know, I can have meetings at certain times and not other times and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, having some sort of routine seems to be what works. So I, you know, I, I, I live by my diary at the best of times. I've got a terrible terrible memory uh you know if it's not written down in my diary if it's not in my my paper diary that is uh, if it's not in my digital diary or it's not in my crm the hubspot it's it, as far as my brain's concerned it's like it didn't happen so uh you know i i rely on my, my digital brain to look after myself so, uh, i have a you know very strict calendar process stuff booked in you know all that that so I, I've, I've managed to keep myself on track by just continuing that routine as best i can uh, as a very kind of uh, you know outward uh, you know a gregarious sociable person, I definitely miss meeting people face to face. Of course, I do, but having the opportunity to do video calls and, and stay connected with people is is kind of soften the blow, if you like. I don't feel like I'm uh, 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 isolated uh, in the extreme sense of the word. If anything, I feel actually more connected to a lot of people because I'm I'm doing this all the time. Uh, but yeah, there's some sort of daily routine where I have time booked out for work, time booked out for home you know, family, relaxing, whatever it might be. That's how I cope with it. Everyone's different, but that's just how I, you know, my mind works. If nothing else, though, if I have that time booked out, I know when I need to focus. I know when I'm going to be doing work. And then the other time, the other time gets filled up very quickly with other stuff. I don't have to worry about filling the downtime up. That's just uh, when you've got a six-year-old son, it kind of looks after itself. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Jack, thank you very much for joining us and for sharing your expertise sharing your time and uh and i know that you're you're very generous with it uh normally anyway but it uh doesn't make it any less appreciated so thank you very much for for joining us my absolute pleasure let me know this is um uh you know i don't I don't try and mention it all the time because it's kind of, uh, it's, it's important, but it's also not important. But, um, you know, I've, I was raised uh, I, I, as a Buddhist. My, my, my dad predominantly is, is, is a Buddhist. So that's, you know, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Buddhist in the strict um, strictest sense of the term, although I do look a bit like a, a monk at the moment. Um, but, you know, I do, I, you know, I, I do believe in, and obviously, it, you know, the, the stuff that I was taught growing up has come into my business life. And, you know, I think but business karma, if you like, for want of a better expression, is I'm a big believer in it. And, you know, you pay it forward, you do good in the world, uh, you help other people. And without that being, a, you know, you're not doing it for selfish reasons. You do it genuinely as a selfless act to help other people, whether that's, you know, uh, um, in business or in personal life. It, it does come around in some way, shape or form. The world has a funny way of kind of like, you know, paying you back for that good stuff. And uh, I found that throughout my life. I don't know whether that's, uh, you know, you can't, it's not a kind of scientific experiment that you can repeat and rely upon. And I'm sure there's lots of people out there that do lots of amazing good work. 
you feel that they're only getting back in return. It's not an exact science, right? But for me personally, doing good stuff, supporting other people, helping other people, being selfless to a certain degree has actually ended up paying benefits in other ways and not just financially and monetary wise, but, you know, sort of, you know, spiritually as well as, you know, by just connections and friendships and et cetera as well. So I do it uh, from a a genuinely selfless place because otherwise it would be weird and kind of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, it wouldn't come across as genuine, but the reality is actually doesn't happen to have some really great benefits as well. So it does uh, encourage me to do more of it if nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if people want to get in contact with you off the back of this, where are the best places for them to to get in contact and, and find you? Uh, well, I'm sat in my loft every, all day, every day, so they can come and uh, come and <laughs> knock on my door. <laughs> Sadly, that's not a thing anymore. Um, I'm, I mean, LinkedIn's the best place to find me. I do have a Twitter profile, but it's kind of uh, it's not uh, it's a bit of a mix of stuff. So LinkedIn's the best find. So Jack Jack Thompson, uh, Ginkgo Business Development is my company. Ginkgo is G I N k-g-o g-i-n-k-g-o so ginkgo um it's a type of japanese tree that i used to grow once upon a time hence the hence the name uh so yeah ginkgo business development or jack thompson on linkedin you should find me and uh yeah it's probably the best way to get in touch with me cool i'll uh i'll stick some links to babasa in the show notes as well I, i kind of i know them from a distance i know they do some good work so uh i'll include the notes to that as well great um and if you've got links to anything else that you want to you want to send over to me afterwards that we've chatted about then then ping them over cheers jack no no problem absolute pleasure thank you